Welcome to episode 8 of The Things That Drive Us. I'm William McKenzie. This week we're talking to Rob Lay, who is the writer of a number of role-playing games, um, including his most recent game, The Moon Hangs Low, which he has just completed a very successful Kickstarter campaign to publish. Um, so this episode works very nicely as a continuation of the themes that was talking to Matt Pennington last week, who produces a live-action role-playing game. Now, role-playing is, of course, tabletop gaming. That's the other name for it. Um, but Rob has some very interesting things to say about how you can turn what was a hobby or an interest into something that you actually produce on a commercial basis or in a, or in a more serious and concentrated way. And we talk about that and some of the philosophies that you have to consider when working out how to design and build such games and how you then go about pitching them and publishing them to the public. Um, it's a very interesting chat and I hope you will enjoy it. Rob, I was very impressed with how well your Kickstarter did. Were you expecting it to do that well, do you think? Um, I was I was hoping it would do, <clears throat> excuse me, at least as well as it had done. Um, so basically, we we hit our goal and uh, just over the goal to into like the first um, stretch goal, um, yeah. which I was you know I was hoping I would at least be successfully funded, which it was. Um, and yeah, I was optimistic that we'd hit one or two stretch goals, and we we got within sort of touching distance of the first stretch goal, which I'm going to count as a success. Yeah. Well, it strikes me as a success. So how long have you been sort of writing uh, role-playing games for? Has this been something um, that's been part of your life for a while? Yes, it's been since, uh, well, so technically for decades, uh, yeah. but actually as a, a published author and taking money mm. um, since 2017. Okay. Um, and maybe not making a profit since then, but at least um, selling things since then. Um, but yes, but um, sort of ever since sort of very early in my, my role-playing hobby, I was writing my own stuff and and sort of passing it around friends. But yeah, then yeah. Uh, at, at 2017 is when I actually sort of created my sort of publishing company, uh, as yeah. it were, and, and started publishing things. So what caused you to make the switch from sort of... Cause... Um, I'm well. We both know quite a lot of role players, and quite a few people, I think, write either mods of games or sometimes their own games. But very few people, I think, make the leap that you have into sort of publishing them and trying to sell them. So, what sort of motivated you to do that? Uh, well, it, it was um, a, an idle New Year's Eve or resolution, basically, or New Year's resolution. Yeah. Um, I um, had been sort of trying to think of something like a project to, to occupy me. Mm. And one New Year's, my wife and I were, were talking and saying, oh, what should we do? You know, what's your New Year's resolution? And I was like, I, you know, I've got a, a hard drive full of notes of role play games. You know, I'm going to try and actually turn them into a, a book, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, to, to publish, but it was like turning it from just a, a sheaf of, you know, odds and ends into an actual book that someone completely unconnected to my projects could pick up, read and understand. And it was just something I've, you know, I've always enjoyed laying out instructions and, you know, writing notes as part of you know, some of my jobs has, has taken like writing notes and things like that. So it was sort of, it was lots of skills that I already had and it was yeah. just applying them to, to try and to see if I could basically. 
um, and at the end of this year, that I um, it was uh, I think that was it was 2015 around that I did this, mm. and then at the end of the first year, I had a uh, sort of a, a rough prototype that I could then start playtesting. And as I was playtesting it, I realised maybe I should actually yeah like publish it. And I started looking around for like online self publishing. Yeah, I see. And what was the first game called that you actually took to publishing? Uh, that was Age of Steel. Oh yeah, um, yeah. which is a, a diesel punk role playing game. So sort of a uh, not quite our world, nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties kind of mm. uh, alternate history kind of thing. Okay, and can you still buy the hard copy, or is it sold out? Oh yes, no, no, it's still it's so it's um all of my uh, books are published through um, Drive to RPG, which is a print on demand. Okay. So if you if you fancy a copy, you can order it and it's printed for you and sent out. So from the people I know who um, like writing their own RPGs, hmm. I mean, it's a broad generalization, but I find they can they they fit into two broad camps: those who like the world building, and then those who like the sort of t- the coming up with the mechanics. So hmm. those who like coming up with a game system from which they can then build anything. Where, where do your sort of preferences lie, or do you flip between the two? Uh, I, I definitely I do both, um, yeah. and I, I enjoy both for different reasons. Um, but uh, the creating the world is definitely my my primary interest, yeah. um, and it's where I, I do love to spend the time, like coming up with an idea and like fleshing that idea out, and sort of yeah, sort of working out all the problems and things like that but then it's also yeah the mechanics creating mechanics so that people can actually interact with that world and um i delve a lot into the actual um philosophy of role play game design as well so it's like if you've written a mystery system how does the dice mechanic actually reinforce that it's a mystery system if you've written a, a sports game how does the dice mechanic reinforce that it's actually a sports game you know rather than just rolling the dice and adding numbers to them yeah that's quite a difficult thing to do so did you sort of start out by modding other types of systems yes yeah and that's i mean that's how i started you know as i said way back in whenever i think my first foray into it was um uh when before wizards of the coast owned dungeons and dragons it was um tsr and yes i remember one of their other systems that wasn't dungeons and dragons was alternity um which was sort of a science fiction kind of thing and the whole point of uh alternity was that you were meant to write your own world and then just apply, apply the system to it and that kind of got me into like thinking about world design. And then I was like, well, the system's very good, but it lacks rules for this thing and this thing. So I then started making up my own rules and then expanding on it. And then after a couple of years, this setting that I'd created with my friends, we decided that we actually didn't like Alternity as a dice system. So we swapped it out for another one that I then like came up with. And that was like my first foray into actually developing mechanics based on a setting. Mm. And yeah, it sort of went from there. Yeah, it's quite a difficult thing to do creating mechanics because it's very easy, and you occasionally come across games like this. It's very easy to make it, I think, too stats heavy and too dice heavy, mm. and you spend your entire time looking at tables and rolling things and scratching your head. Yes, I, sp- I suppose that's where the um, having a, a core group of friends you trust and the game testing comes in. Oh yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, um, so all three of my games actually use the same system. Okay. Um, which uh, I created for um, Age of Steel and then have kept um, into my second game, Tormented, and then yeah. into my third game, um, When the Moon Hangs Low, which is the one I've kickstarted. Um, yeah. And it's a system, yeah, that's had 
uh, oh god, what year are we in now? So five years of development packed into it, maybe a bit yeah. more. And so with each iteration, it has a few more things added onto it and like a few things refined. So yeah, and it's very good that yeah, my my core sort of couple of game groups that I often try things out on are now well versed in how it works. And I'm like, right, it's another game, and then all oh, right, okay, so it's you know, this dice system is like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so what is the sort of core mechanic philosophy behind your system? Uh, the um, I've always um, tried to. I don't like class-based games, um, no. and so it's not class-based; it's skill-based. And I've always um, disliked the idea that um, in a lot of games there's a stat plus a skill, and if you don't have a skill, then you know it's just the stat. And what are stats ultimately for? So um, my mm. system that I still need to have a name for um, stats um, inherently drive skills. Um, in that you have a, a stat labeled from one to five, and there are three stats in the, in my base system: so physique, intellect, and presence. So social, mental, and physical. Yeah. Um, and skills are associated with one of, one of these three stats. And a skill has a, a rating whether you're trained, untrained, or whether you've mastered it. Mm. And you roll a number of dice equal to your stat. Um, but the target number on each dice is dependent on your skill. So if you're untrained, any dice that's a five or a six is a success. Uh, if you're trained, any dice that's a four, five or six is a success. And if you've mastered it, then it's a three, four, five or six. So um, anyone can make any skill check. But if you've, depending on your level of training, you're more likely to succeed or gain a greater degree of success. And then presumably you can add modifiers to that depending on how difficult what you're up to is. Yes. Yes, and and also in in when the moon hangs low, one of the additions for that system was the idea of penalty dice. So you roll um, a couple of dice of a different color at the same time, and if any of those come up as a five or a six, you lose success. So it's another way of manipulating the dice pool. Uh, I see. Yeah, and I, actually, I was interested in what you were saying about how, and I think you're right about this because you come across some games where the way the mechanics work. And I think D and D is actually quite a good example of this. The way the mechanics work really adds to how the game feels. And mm. Warhammer fancy role play as well. Um, there's something about the way the mechanics actually really vibe with the feel of the game. And you come across some where it. Uh, I don't know if you ever played Shadow. You probably did play Shadowrun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always found. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. I don't know. It didn't work somehow. Mm. So that's a quite difficult thing to do. So it's how, how do you sort of conceptually get around that issue, or is it just a question of trial and error? And you know, I mean, it's uh, the, the the key question I always ask when I'm writing a system is what what do I want players to feel when they're playing it, and and what is well, what is the game about, and how how do I make players feel that by rolling dice? Um, so um, in uh, when the moon hangs low, it's a, a horror game. And mm. one of the things I really wanted to emphasize in the setting is that um, sort of I didn't want to use the term sanity as well. I wanted to use something that's um, so stepping away from the idea of mental health as a meta currency. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to have like um, a stat, which I, ke I came up with the idea of resolve. Um, so it's like your spiritual, physical and mental stamina. Yeah. Um, and that it can get worn down. And the more that it gets worn down, the, the sort of the more tired your hero gets and how um, all of the heroes in When the Moon Hangs Low are sort of cursed. And as their resolve wears down, their curse gets worse. So that was the sort of the mechanic that, the sort of the core mechanic I was building When the Moon Hangs Low around. And it's 
coming up with an idea that it's yeah, sort of reinforcing that it's you're not a uh, do-gooding D and D infinite pool of hit points hero. Mm. You're you know you've got a finite pool of of resolve that you've kind of got to almost strategically handle because you know that um, encountering monsters wears it down, getting in overly long fights wears it down, and also using your your heroic abilities actually wears it down as well. Um, and that's how that's the the, the sort of the the, system, the main system for when the moon hangs low. How I sort of tried to reinforce that, but there's things like in with Age of Steel, mm. um, I wanted it to be quite a sort of a pulpy Indiana Jones esque system. So yeah. one one of the first things that I kind of stripped out from earlier versions was um, automatic fire because um, mm. I started off with a very crunchy rolling lots and lots of dice, um, kind of inspired by Cyberpunk 2020. Um, and because I thought, thought, you know, how does automatic fire work in Indiana Jones? It's not like, you know, he's like hosing people down with a Tommy gun and actually every single bullet is hitting. It's more a big spray of bullets, a big dramatic thing. Um, and, you know, the guy, bad guy falls over. So auto, uh, I was sort of analyzing that and saying, well, in a pulpy game, what do you want auto fire to do? Just, you know, it's one bonus. It gives you a, a couple of extra dice and allows you to do this, you know, the short thing. It's not about like crunchy, like, calculating oh i've hit six bullets and each bullet has got an armor penetration characteristic you know it's not like a, a game like that so yeah it's it's choosing where mechanics sit in your game and how they reinforce what your game's about in my opinion yeah that's nice and those are two very good examples because you immediately then capture then the sort of speed mm. and feel of a of a pulpy game because it's just yeah you you throw a couple of dice and and you've sprayed some shots and they've either hit or they haven't yes yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and i do like the idea of resolve i think that's a very nice idea i mean I, I, that would work very well i think in a sort of war fighting game mm. you know sort of uh, um, battlefield fatigue and all these kind of things yes yeah 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 i mean interestingly yeah my first age of steel back when i first created it actually started off as a world war one sort of <laughs> heavy simulationist game mm. Um, and with with mech in it, so yeah, it's it's all sort of that sort of thing bouncing around in my head, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and then the second one, the second game you produced, hmm. what was remind me what that was called again? Uh, so tormented. That's yeah. um, a game that I came up with on a whim and wrote over the course of a couple of weeks. Um, but it's it's been very well received, and um, I I actually sort of got a load of friends to help me write it because um, it's basically the idea is that uh, you're um, a soul who's been damned to hell mm. and you've been damned to hell for so long that you've actually forgotten what you were damned to hell for. Mm. Um, and it's, um, there's a, a, a war has broken out in hell as they want to do and your captors have, you know, forgotten about you and you've broken loose. Um, and now free in hell you are one of the tormented. You've been tortured and twisted so long by your captors that your you, your scars have given you special powers. Um, and you're basically, it's, you know, what do you do? Do you try and break free? Do you try and escape? Do you try and seek revenge? Um, it was a very sort of World of Darkness inspired sort of game. Mm. Um, and it's meant to be this sort of slightly sort of, I called it gothic horror, but I, if I've had it pointed out, it's not really gothic horror. It's kind of a... Paradise Lost meets um, sort of Milton, sort of um, sort of tragic. Your tragic characters, you don't remember anything about your past. It's about recovering memories, 
yeah. forging alliances and ultimately maybe trying to get yourself a bit of redemption or something along those lines. But it's, yeah, it's sort of a, a very small game compared to my other two. Um, but um, when I was writing it, I discovered that the original plates from Paradise Lost are all, uh, all the illustration plates are actually open source uh, or um, uh, free commons images now. Oh, right. So the, the entire book is illustrated using those plates, which I think gives it a, a very distinct look. And um, I'm, it's something I'm quite pleased with. So those are the William Blake illustrations um i'm trying to remember who did them it's um but it's sort of it's not what it's not blake but it's that very you've probably seen them they're sort of the the yeah. etched metal plates of yes. um the the falling angels and the pits of hell and things like that oh that's very cool that's very cool so i mean because i i've never written a game myself hmm. I, it's not something writing um and generating things like that is not really where my creative urges lie. I, I prefer painting and sort of visual stuff, but I, I help friends who have. Um, and it sounds like it's the same for you, but it's all often just a sort of very organic process. You have an idea that you start generating and then you run with it from there. Or, or do you have a, 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 do you sort of have an end goal that you're trying to reach with these projects or does it change depending on what you're up to? I mean, it depends. I mean, with my first two um, books, definitely, the Age of Steel was a, a kind of an experiment. And it's, I love it because it's my first one, but it is one of the, it was the sort of the roughest of the, the three, because obviously it was my first foray into yeah. professional writing and self-publishing. And with that one, it was just a, let's see what happens. And, you know, if one person buys it and plays it, then I'd have been happy. Mm. Um, and as it is, it's now uh, Electrum best-selling on uh, drive for RPG. It's actually sold more than enough to be a gold bestseller, but because of how they've sold through various promotions, I, I never got the badge. Um, <laughs> but yeah. um, so I'm very pleased with how that one's done. And then with Tormented again, it was kind of a on a whim. I suddenly had this inspiration of oh, you know, there's no game where you actually play like someone trapped in hell. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. And sort of writing it and saying to my friends, oh, do you want to write one of the planes of hell? <clears throat> and coming up with all these different places and sort of putting it together in a book. So they were very sort of like, yeah, like passion led kind of things with um, When the Moon Hangs Low. Again, it was something I was really passionate about, like writing this gothic horror yeah. setting. But it was also uh, by that point, I'd very into the swing of how things worked. And it was a I really want to write a, a book that elicits these feelings and has these particular sort of notes in it with a mind of, oh, and it's totally going to go on drive through RPG because I think people would like would be interested in it because again there weren't many or there's there's loads of gothic horror but there weren't many systems with sort of um like I said uh, it's uh I wanted to try and rebrand sanity as a meta currency and uh you know it was that was my sort of one of my drives was like I want to produce this book that does this so I can show it to other people and say look you don't have to have mental health as a, a meta currency of role-playing games you know yeah, because I mean it's it's very sort of Lovecraft that idea of mm. you know the the sort of you're sane or you've completely gone over the edge. Yeah, well, it's also and from talking to I mean I've had mental health issues myself. Talking to a lot of friends who also do the idea that you know you're yeah 
sanity is is something that you can have a pool of or run out of and that you go insane and using terms like madness rather interchangeably and things like that and you know the fact that you can see a shog off and suddenly gain schizophrenia you know it's it's you know not many people might it's not you know we're all role players we don't you know we're all it's it's a sort of slightly not tongue-in-cheek but we've got the idea it's not real but at the same time there are people who do take you know they they feel like a bit sort of like oh you know there's other character other players at the table pretending they've got multiple personalities in this game when you know someone they know might actually have an issue like that um so sort of trying to like it was a an experiment of you know how would i write a game that doesn't use terms like that and you know avoiding terms like madness and and sort of trying to you know say how would you write a gothic horror game that deals with wearing down your characters without wearing down their mental health what do you do you know and that's why the idea of characters with supernatural curses that grow stronger as you grow more as as you lose resolve that kind of thing what i mean and it's a sort of trope that rings quite powerfully i think because you sort of come across it with the idea of the sort of fighting the demons within and occasionally losing the struggle um yeah yeah but i really like it because it also i think i'm quite into sort of stoic philosophy and it's the idea of trying to use your own resources in your own you know it's it's like the the sort of struggle struggle of courage isn't it it's all very Mm. well being courageous when your resource is high, but doing it when your resource is low. Yes, yes, exactly that. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's, I, I, I'm pleased that when I've run games when the moon hangs low, I've actually had that kind of response sometimes in that it's like we've had players go, I've got three points worth of resolve left. You know, we're, we're down at the lowest level of the dungeon. Can I be bothered to actually go and fight the boss? You know, I'm not sure I'll make it. And, you know, there's like that real sort of like toss up of do I let my curse get worse? You know, if I if I lose these three points of resolve, I'm going to slowly transform into a werewolf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a really nice idea. Um, I, I always like it when I come across people who've come across, come up with really nice ideas because I can I can see the potential in in this resolve idea and how you could adapt it for lots of different settings and Mm. it's i mean do you do you have plans to write more oh yeah definitely yeah there's um it's one of the it's the curse of the the role play game writer is that Mm. whenever you're writing one system you're coming up with ideas for the next three um (laughs) or any writer i think um so yeah there are i've got a, a scratch pad of ideas of other settings and things like that. There's settings that I wrote years ago that I've always, I've gone, ah, I'm not going to work on that one. Or, you know, you, you start writing a system and you realize it's, um, there's a, a, the industry term is the fantasy heartbreaker, which is like, you write this thing, you're like, oh God, it's just a D&D clone. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you sort of t- t- put it to one side because you know it's never going to actually come to anything. So, yeah. but yeah, so that, uh, yeah, definitely I have, there are more things on the cards. I'm, I'm going to try and maintain the ones I've got as well, because uh, Age of Steel has got a decent fan base. Uh, when the Moon Hangs Low has got a decent fan base. And I don't want to just sort of do one and done with mm. them. And it's like Age of Steel, I've uh, created quite a few supplements and add-ons over, like, over the years. But I, I, one thing I'd quite like to do is go back and do a second edition now, sort of taking what I've learned since I first published it and and do a bit of a spruce up and, and maybe do a Kickstarter to try and finance. Yeah. Well, you've anticipated work for a second edition, that kind of thing. Yeah, you've anticipated the question I was going to ask because 
Uh, I was going to ask whether you were get, planning to go back and, and do a second edition. Um, do you find sometimes, I, I find that occasionally I go back to old work and I go, actually, I can really see how I can improve that. And and, and it's it, it can be quite fun and a joy to do. And other times I go back and I say, well, I can see that's not very good, but there's a sort of internal resistance to messing with something that you were proud of at the time. Hmm. Is that is that a sort of struggle you come up with or? Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's like there's there's things um, I even like I've worked on um, so not just my own work where I've worked on work for other publishers mm. and like looking back and reading it now it's actually out in print looking at it and going oh I wish I'd actually written that a bit differently but then you know it's it's printed and it's yeah. finished so I have no ability to control it so I'm sort of like well yeah I'm very proud of it was a product of when I wrote it and I remember how I felt when it was actually accepted so it's just sort of like yeah you have to come to terms with the stuff you can you can't change and then sort of look at the stuff you can change so again it's like things with age of steel how i've written some bits of it i'm like oh no you know now i'd like to go back and rewrite that but rather than i could change the pdf and re-upload it and everyone who's got a copy of the pdf gets my edition you know my changes but it's uh, I, yeah, I'd rather do a second edition and move the story onwards than retcon the stuff I have written kind of thing. Yeah. And and presumably you'd make some adjustments to the sort of system as well to mm. reflect. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you'd backload a version of the resolve into that or, or do you think it wouldn't suit the setting? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it would suit the setting because Age of Steel is very much, it's more, yeah. um, like I say, pulp Indiana Jones. Um, the one thing I probably would add, which um, I, I've seen fans of, added themselves and they've sent me versions of the rules is um, sort of stunts which is mm. sort of very like um, in fate the system yeah you can like you know if you describe some outlandish you know i jump from a chandelier jump from the balcony and grab a chandelier and swing through the stained glass window then you get a couple of bonus dice that you can spend you know in the next few scenes and i really like that idea because again it reinforces wacky you know indiana jones style antics yeah um, which I'm like, yeah, if I do a second edition, that's definitely going in. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's choosing the mechanics. So the one I'd probably add things like penalty dice because those are just a universal improvement to the system. But things like resolve, I'd definitely keep for the systems where you're, yeah, you're playing someone who's a bit more worn down. And yeah, you know, it has an element of grit to it, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, totally. So, um, or, um, what then caused you to do, decide to go the Kickstarter route with When the Moon Hangs Low? Uh, so it was um, something I've very early on in When the Moon Hangs Low. Um, I kind of thought if I ever do a printed edition, I'll do a Kickstarter. And mm. again, it was kind of one of those things of a lot of my writing career has been, can I do X? And it's, you know, the first one was, can I publish a book? Yes, I can. Mm. Can I create a, a decent supplement? And yeah, I did that. Can I do um, printed adventures? Yeah. Uh, and then um, with When the Moon Hangs Low, it's always been kind of a, could I run a Kickstarter? I know friends who have also run their own Kickstarters on other things. So, you know, I've spoken to them about how it's gone. I've, I've actually acted, uh, uh, worked as a writer on a Kickstarter, um, not one of my own. So again, mm -hmm. I'm kind of familiar with the process, but I've never actually run one myself. And it was kind of a the next sort of step of, you know, daring myself to do something scary. But the, the other thing is is cost and um, artwork. I believe in paying artists what they charge. You know, mm. I never haggle with my artists. 
but um, artwork is very expensive. Um, and especially when you self-publish um, the sort of the overheads for decent artwork and especially role-play games where there's a kind of expectation for um, artwork in a, a quite high volume in the books. So it's not yeah. just, you know, one picture per chapter, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of one or two per page kind of thing. Yeah, um, they're, they're often quite detailed and quite high quality as well, aren't mm, they? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, when I first did When the Moon Hangs Low, I had a, I set myself a budget um, because, again, I didn't know how well it was going to, I never know how well a, a book's going to do. So I set myself a, a sort of a decent budget for some iconic artwork for the cover and for, you know, the, the sort of the character classes, even though it's not classes, and a couple of the monsters. Um, and added that, did it as a PDF, and then I padded out the rest of the PDF with um, rights-free photography that I sort of grayscaled and put through a couple of filters so it didn't look quite so photography-esque. Yeah. And, but it was, you know, I was pleased with it. It looks very good, but it's not something that I could have put that straight into a printing, um, you know, edition. I could have printed from that, but it's mm. not what I wanted as my final product. So I thought, well, if I, if I do want to turn this into a written book, and I was going to see how it sold over a year and if the pdf sold well and was well received then i'd i'd do a kickstarter and um the book went electrum within the first six months and has now gone gold so i was like right fine so then yeah did a did a kickstarter campaign um and it turned out it was exactly a year after i um, first published it i started my kickstarter okay and that is just to finance artwork for the new book yeah 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 I see. So where do you find your artists from? Are they people you already know or have used in the past or or do you sort of um, invite, invite people to submit stuff? How, how does that process work for you? Well, so um, the, one of my artists, um, Omajan, um, has been working with me since Age of Steel. And um, I first saw his artwork on another role-play game uh, called The Wild Sea, mm. um, who, which is the one of the Kickstarters I ended up writing for in a very circular, <laughs> incestuous role-play game world. Mm. Um, I, uh, Felix, who's the writer of The Wild Sea, posted some of his artwork on Reddit saying, look at my new artwork for my new role-play game. And I contacted him and went, this is amazing. Who's your artist? And he put me on to Omajan. Um, I then published Age of Steel um, in the time it took Felix to continue working on his game. And then once Age of Steel was published, Felix turned around and went, oh, I like your book. Do you want to work on mine when I do a Kickstarter? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Omajan has been working for with me on pretty much all of my games um, since, yeah, 2017. And then for, um, so that he does very good character illustrations and, and sort of black and white pieces. And then yeah. for the, um, the chapter heads, I wanted a more sort of like oil painting-y style Mm. So um, I hit uh, ArtStation and um, cruised around there looking for similar things. I was sort of looking for like gothic horror, um, landscapes, um, concept art, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and came up with a list of, you know, a dozen or so artists and sent out the, the sort of a boilerplate um, inquiry form and, and then got a couple of responses and then sort of whittled it down. And in the end, I uh, ended up with um, a guy called uh, Gabriel uh, over in the US, who um, is going to be doing my my colour art for me. Oh, nice. Because my sister wrote a children's book, and she was um, she was my first podcast guest, and she talks about mm. the difficulty of establishing a sort of... And you almost have to establish your own language of communication with your artist and your illustrator so that they get the ideas that you want come across. Mm. But was that a difficult process for you, or did you find it come naturally? 
No, uh, yeah, completely. I mean, there's I've had a couple of artists that I have inquired with and basically got to a, the stage of going, right, can you do me this character? And mm. then when I've got the, the things back going, that's great. Thanks very much. Here's your payment. Um, see you later. <laughs> mm. Because they haven't just quite got it. So, yeah. and uh, they, you know, they produced amazing art, but it's just not what I'm after. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sort of learning how to, yeah, communicate your needs as well. I mean, my day job is um, a web developer, and I, which I've come to by way of being a web designer myself and a print designer and a layout artist in the past. Mm. So I've got some of the the language already sort of in my vocabulary to try and express things. Yeah. Um, and I generally find that basically I, I build things like mood boards or um, for some of like some of the art characters, I've basically gone, it's like Poison Ivy and Swamp Thing from DC Comics. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. just sort of giving them very like, you know, like it's these ones, these two characters and like being able to like boil it down to what you want. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, especially... With Omijan, we've now got into a good sort of state where I'm just like, I need, I need another hunter, um, you know, like the other six you've done me. Um, and he's, in fact, just tonight just sent me some scamps for the next sort of round of illustrations, and they're all pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, it's definitely, it is a, a sort of a fine art to perfect, like communicating with your artists. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a skill that you have to learn. And mm-hmm. you begin to see when you establish that skill why, as you have, you tend to use the same people again and again and again because you sort of get a vibe going where they kind of know you want what you want without you really having to even tell them. Yes, yeah. You just say, I want a hunter, but mm. slightly different, please. And they somehow know what it is you're thinking. Mm. Yeah. So did did you find, was that your first Kickstarter? That was your first Kickstarter that you ran, wasn't it? From the, yes, it was. Yes, yeah. I mean, it looked because I, I backed a few Kickstarters in my time. Um and yours look really good. So did you find it a sort of difficult process to master, to do? Did you get anyone to help you, things like this? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I've I've sort of um, had the benefit of, like I said, I worked on the Wild Sea Kickstarter. Mm. So I've sort of seen from the back end of how it runs, not, not really involved in the nitty gritty, but enough that I could basically say to my friend Felix, right, Christ, how did you do this bit? What did you, yeah. you know, what kind of wording? And I've also, it's Kickstarter. I've, I've backed quite a few Kickstarters. It's one of those things I've seen a few crash and burn. And so it's quite easy to basically go, right, what did they do wrong? Why did, why did they fail? Or, you know, what, and some of them on, some of the Kickstarters I've backed, most have been very good. A couple have been quite disappointing. And it's look, looking at them and going, right, why was I annoyed with that? So yeah. it's sort of, yeah, learning like by other people's mistakes and other people's successes. Um, and again, from working in the web design industry, I think has kind of given me a little bit of a sort of a leg up in that I know how to construct a web page that, you know, explains what you need up front. And again, writing role play games kind of gave me a bit of an advantage because you need to understand how to give people a, a rough overview and then some detail and then expanded and, you know, sort of breaking it down. So sort of, sort of narrate the, the user journey or the user experience. Hmm. And is there a desire then for this, for writing role play games to become your full-time occupation as it were? I mean, I'd love it, but I don't think it would ever happen. I mean, the, the role play game industry, I know a lot of people who, especially with the boom of D&D since lockdown, hmm. have really been like, oh, I want to be a role play games writer, but it's, it's a very niche industry. Um, 
Yeah. It's one of those things that when you're a role player, it seems like a gigantic colossus of, oh my God, you know, Wizards of the Coasts, they must be huge. But, you know, Wizards of the Coast have a staff of, I think, less than 100 people, full-time employees, mm-hmm. um, maybe even less than that. And, you know, the number of actual paid role-play game writers in the world could is probably, you know, a very small figure. So I, I have no illusions that I could ever earn a living off this. You know, it's it doesn't earn me much money at the end of the day that's why i need to like do kickstarters to finance my artwork so yeah as much as i would absolutely love to spend my day writing role play games it you know it for me it's a, a fun hobby mm. um that's less about earning my keep and more about just creating something that other people can can play and it's you know my 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 pleasure from doing this is when people say, oh, I played when the moon hangs low and I did this, this and this, and my character died at the end. Uh- <laughs> well, it's interesting because I was talking to um, Matt Pennington, who, you know, we, mm. we, we both, we mess each other, listeners, um, by playing at Empire together. Um, that's how um, you and I, Rob, got to know each other. Mm. And, and he was saying that his motivations are much the same as yours. It's the sort of seeing the enjoyment other people get from something that you put together mm, very much yeah. yeah yeah so i mean do you do you also carry on writing for other people is that something that continues or, or does it tend to be your own projects it's it's mostly my own projects i am uh i i do i, I quite enjoy writing for other people um yeah. and yeah it's i've done it um a couple of times um i would love to do it some more it's more finding the the gig yeah um and um especially yeah since since the um the sort of the boom of D over lockdown it's suddenly the market has become a lot more competitive um <laughs> it used to be that there, there, you know there weren't many people hunting down role-play game writing jobs now suddenly everyone is is sort of realized how fun it is and, and there's some great writers that have suddenly emerged in the last few years so yeah I, i'm more than happy to do it it's just it's finding the the the, the opportunities and also it's um, when I've got the time, because at the moment, all of my energy and time is going into when the moon hangs low. Yeah. Once that's, you know, done and the book is in people's hands, then maybe I might consider it. But yeah, I'm a kind of a, a one thing at a time guy. <laughs> well, that's that's very wise. I'm not, which is usually <laughs> my downfall, to be perfectly honest. Um, well, I mean, that's the other thing I was going to ask you. I mean, because you're in full time employment as a um uh, web web developer so how how do you sort of find the time to fit this in well yeah it's it's mostly it's it's my it's my relaxation yeah. in a weird way which is maybe not the healthiest thing but um no it's 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 weekends and evenings um and the occasional day off from work i i do derive sort of great sort of satisfaction and relaxation from writing so you know it, of an evening i'll you know cook some food and sit and spend some time with my wife and then go upstairs and and you know work on the next iteration of 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 when the moon hangs low or you know do some copy editing and things like that i mean i'm lucky with um where i am at the moment with the kickstarter much much of the book has actually been written because i wrote it um last year Mm. but at the moment i'm doing things like editing contributor copy or padding out some of the rules and things like that but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's finding ways to fit it in, and and also with me, um, I've been I have had periods where I'm like really like right, I must achieve this deadline, I must have written this much by this this date, and mm. other times I'm sort of like no, I'm not beholden to anyone but myself, 
Yeah. You know, so I can take it easy and not write anything for a week. So, yeah, it's it's sort of just managing your time and managing your own sanity. <laughs> sanity and energy. But, yeah. Yes. I mean, I know what you mean, but some days being creative feels very relaxing and energizing. And you're mm. like, oh, why don't I do this more? And then some days you're sitting there and it it just does feel like work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you sort of you feel like you're pushing against a stuck door. Yeah. And then for no obvious reason, you go in the next door on the door day and the door is opened and, 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 and suddenly it seems easy again. It's very strange, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah. And it's definitely I've identified there's certain bits of writing a role play game that I love and certain bits that I absolutely hate. And it's like it's usually after doing three games now, I'm like, oh god, it's getting up to this bit. <laughs> so which of the bits you love and which of the bits you hate? If you uh, I mean dumb. Well, it's it, um, so it's the bits I love is normally the world building and yeah. usually sort of coming up with like the so um, in when the moon hangs low, you with your character you choose a, a mark which is your supernatural curse. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of like classes in other systems, but not quite. Hmm. Um, and coming up with those and writing the sort of the introductory fiction and copy for those is great fun. And that was the part I really enjoyed. But then the bits that I, I hate is um, padding out like the, the, the minutiae of the rules. Like, oh God, I've got to write rules for like foot pursuits and drowning and how yeah. much damage you take if you fall in a bonfire. And it's like filling out all that. And it's um, the skills chapter. Each skill needs like a, a little description of what you can do with it. And so like a little bit of preamble and it's like, things like, oh God, I've got to write at what the athletic skill does again. Uh. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then of course that's quite a vigorous process because you've got to make sure it matches up with Yes. Yeah. It, it's got to not break the game. It's got to fit mm. in with the style and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's very interesting, actually. So the Kickstarter's reached its goal mm. and you're looking to publish, aren't you, in February, I believe. Uh April. April. Um I gave I gave myself six months. Yeah. Um which um as uh yeah, it's it's mostly artwork that i'll be waiting on mm. um because um it's it's just taking the existing copy of the, the 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 book um and then basically adding fresh artwork but then um i could never you know just I, I felt it was a bit cheap just to do that so i'm also adding there's extra marks gone in there um plus um i had some higher paying backing tiers that allowed um backers to create their own marks so there's two of those going in plus That's i thought so- I was gutted to miss out on those. I, was, <laughs> I really wanted to do those. Yeah, yeah, they snapped. They were snapped up very quickly. Um, yeah, it was, I was quite quite impressed how um, how quickly they sold. And uh, yeah, I've added a bit more copy and content in various places. But so yeah, I sort of I think six months is quite um, do achievable. And yeah, as long as my artists continue to deliver. Um, and then we've also got a, a soundtrack that we're doing as well. Oh, nice. Who are you doing that with? Uh, so that was a um, a young person called Will, um, who they posted on Reddit mm. um, a soundtrack basically going, I, I recently played a gothic horror D&D game and I made a soundtrack to go with it. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And they'd used some artwork from um, Bloodborne, which is a computer game, which is one of the big inspirations for When the Moon Hangs Light. Mm. So I contacted them and said, I, I love your soundtrack. You know, I'm doing... Um, a game called When the Ming Hangs Low, and it seemed really appropriate. And they messaged me back basically going, oh, if you ever want any music for a trailer, let me know. 
I was like, actually, I think I do want a trailer. That sounds like a good, you know, again, it was another thing I've never done. I've never done a launch trailer. So when I first released the PDF, mm. um, I worked with Will and they produced me an amazing launch trailer track. So that I, I then did that. And then they said, oh, if you ever do a Kickstarter, because I'd, I'd said to them, oh, I might do a Kickstarter. But if you ever, if I do a Kickstarter, I could do a soundtrack for the game. I was like, oh, that sounds quite fun. So, you know, I often use when I run role play games, I usually have like music playing in the background. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, mark that down if i do a a, a kickstarter I'll, I'll do a soundtrack for it so it yeah so fun. we're doing a, a half hour soundtrack that will be um available on youtube for people to to listen to while they play their games that's brilliant i mean that all sounds awesome um and i have to say i'm looking forward to um getting hold of my copy of the day, game when mm -hmm. you publish it in april so that was rob lee and um i'm very excited about some of his ideas i particularly like the idea of resolve and the way he's implemented that and this is one of the things that actually fascinates me about role-playing games and similar devices is the way they can explore elements like this and you can sort of work out how to map elements of the human condition into sort of game mechanics and this allows you to explore them in more detail and act them out and this is one of the intriguing things that i think role-playing games allows for a lot of people um i like them very much particularly the good ones and um, uh, as you can tell from the discussion I had with Rob this is an idea that I, I was really interested in and I'm looking forward to where he takes it um, but the um, Kickstarter will result in publication of The Moon Hangs Low in April 2023 this discussion was recorded in um, November 2022 um, and will be available from then I've put links in the description of this podcast to Rob's uh, website and the Kickstarter and also a couple of other links to various things that you might find interesting um, but I hope you've enjoyed episode 8 of the things that drive us and I hope you come back and listen to some more soon